This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website, www.anchorchurch.com.au. Today we're going to be finishing our series, 90,000 Hours. Uh, And the reason why we've named it 90,000 Hours, maybe this is your first time with us and you're going to catch a tail end of this, but the reason is because we will spend approximately, over an average lifetime, about 90,000 hours at work. That's over 54% of your waking hours at work. Now, this doesn't count travel, commute to and from work. This doesn't count any of the free work we do. That's really just counting uh, the work where we punch in and punch out, paid work. And so this number really skyrockets when we think about all the other things that we do, the moms and the dads and uh, the laundry that we need to do and the laundry that we need to do and the diapers that we need to change and the laundry that we need to do um, and the weekend volunteer soccer coaches and the folding and all the pro bono work that you may do, the the serving that you do here at Anchor, the cleaning, all, all those kinds of things are not counted in that number. So this really skyrockets as we think about all the work we do, but... For the past six weeks, we've really narrowed in on the nine to five, as it were, the 90,000 hours that on average you will spend doing paid work. And our real, our desire has been to, uh, to listen to the Holy Spirit so that he would form our view of work, that we wouldn't have this, uh, a, a view of work that is shaped by the culture, uh, that work is, is everything or it's, or it's hell, Right? or have sort of like an anemic Christian subculture view where work really doesn't matter. It's just a sort of a way to make money to send missionaries to unreached places. We really wanna have a rich and robust biblical theology of what work is. What does it look like that as we follow Jesus in our life, what does it look like for the 54% of our waking hours, our 90,000 hours? What does it look like? This is the question. To work as if Jesus is on the throne. That's the question. What does it look, that's the question we've sought to answer over the six weeks. What does it look to work as if Jesus, which he is by the way, let me just spoiler alert, as if Jesus is on the throne. And so we've looked at the beauty of work, the purpose of work. We've looked at how God is a worker, Yahweh is a worker, and therefore we are workers. Uh, We've looked at the way that the curse has affected work, and I remember Matt using really beautiful language about work still being fruitful, but frustrating. And and it's, it's sort of like a knot that we can't untangle oftentimes where work can be really fruitful. We, we can taste that original design of work of joy and, and pleasure, but it's mixed in with frustration and disappointment. And then we looked at the work of rest, so looking at Sabbath practices, how do we live as a people uh, where the calendar isn't God, but, but God is God, and, and uh, sort of live with the rhythm of the world that he's created, where we work six days and rest one, that we, we do a deep rest of soul, mind, and body. And then Matt took us through work and career, vocation, what's good work, what does that look like? Uh, how, how do we know uh, how God has wired us? Um, looking at the needs of the world, looking at our passions and how they interact and how they intersect. And then last week, Matt took us through the giving of work, so generosity, that work isn't just to build up your portfolio, it isn't just to, uh, uh, just to, to you know, get your name on a, on a deed, it isn't just to uh, put away a nest egg, but really work is not only to, to have things, but to give things. And life is actually in the giving. 
We, we believe in the radical statement of Jesus that says it is actually more blessed to give than to receive. Like that's crazy, right, in our world. Our world will say it's far more blessed to, to receive than, than to give. Uh, but we live according to a different kingdom and a, and a different charter, and that means that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so all of this, we wanna wrap all of this up today at, to look at where work will end. Now, what I don't mean is that when work will cease. That's not what I mean by where work will end. I mean, where will work be the telos of work? What is the end of work? What is the point of our 90,000 hours? Where is it all going? All the things that we produce with our minds and our hearts and our hands, where will they end up? Let me pray, join me. Father, we thank you again for your goodness to us. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for uh, just enough health and energy to be here this morning. There are struggling people in this, uh, in front of me, and uh, I, just, I just wanna honor how you've been working in their life. And I pray now, Lord, for those who may be far from you, those who don't follow you even now, those who are very comfortable with saying, I, I don't follow Jesus, I'm just checking it out. I pray, Holy Spirit, we're not here to hoodwink anyone. We pray that you would rescue, that you would transfer from death to life, that you would open eyes to see your beauty and your glory this morning. We can't do this, but you can. So help me to forget the things that I prepared that are not gonna be helpful, and help me to remember the things that will be all for our joy and your glory. And we pray these things in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen and amen. So I caved this week, uh, and I got Disney Plus, okay? So don't judge me. We, we argued over what else we're gonna cancel. We're like, ah, oh, well, I don't wanna have all these subscriptions, and, but we kept it. And, it was under the guise of, oh, it's for the kids, right? It's for, it's for the kids, really. I just want to watch the 1992 X-Men uh, animated series and DuckTales and all these uh, fun Disney um, uh, movies that I watched as a kid. And I want to disciple my kids well. Anyway, <laughs> one of the movies, uh, one of my favorite movies that's on there is it's called Wally. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. Uh, I'm showing my age here. But... Um, Wally, it, it's, a cool, it's a cool film. It's weird uh, because there isn't a lot of dialogue, but the plot basically is this, that humanity has basically just raped and pillaged the earth and uh, so much so that uh, humanity just had to eject from earth and, and build a, a spacecraft and they left this machine, Wally, there. And his purpose, his whole purpose is just collect, to collect garbage, make it into cubes and to sort of uh, organize the garbage on earth. And I, I, as I was watching that, I, I wonder if maybe that's how we feel about our 90,000 hours. That one day when Jesus returns, and Jesus will return physically, and we have, maybe we have this idea that we will sort of eject from earth, sort of go to another plane, go to another realm, and somehow all of the cultural goods that we've created, all the products that we've created, sort of just go to nothing, really. So we should work well, yeah, Colossians 3.23, do all things for the Lord, we get that. But, but really, really, what is gonna happen to all of the things that we've created on this earth? What, what, what is actually going to happen with them? My contention is that it's nothing like Wally, uh, but that God will cleanse and bring all these things into the new heavens and the new earth, but I'm getting a bit ahead of myself. And I think one of the things we need to understand in order to see that, in order to feel that for ourselves, I don't want you to take just my word for it, but we need to understand the flow of the scriptures. We need to understand the mission of God. 
If we are going to go into work this week knowing that our work matters, that our 90,000 hours matter, we need to have a, a captivating picture of what God is up to. Have you ever thought about that? Asking the question, what is God up to? What is he doing? And here at Anchor, we sit under the authority of the scriptures, and so we don't come with simply our ideas about what God is doing. We don't try to just guess what God is doing. God has given us his word. He's revealed his will to us. He has given us his authoritative word so that we can partner with him and understand in part what he is doing. So the question is, what, what is God up to? And this is my contention. My contention from the very beginning, from the very first words of scripture to the very last, this is what God is doing. That the mission of God is God's gracious initiative to create a space where he joyfully dwells with and rules through his people. Let me say that again. That the mission of God is God's gracious initiative, right? It's his initiative. God has a mission. It's his initiative to create a space, a physical space, whereby he will joyfully dwell with and rule through his people. And the story all the way from Genesis all the way to, Reve from Genesis all the way to Revelation is this uh, story that I, I, I stole this, uh, but it's called The Withness of God. I love that, the withness of God. That God wants to be with his people. We see that in the garden. We see that he, he, he walks with Adam and Eve. This was, and the way that that's formed is, is this is, was a regular pattern, right? He walked with them in the cool of the day. God wants to be with his people. And even after the debacle, right, of Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve choose self-actualization over submitting to their good father to receive their identity. They wanted to create their identity by choosing for themselves what is right and what is wrong. And even then, even at that point, you would think God can just hit the, you know, at least a soft reset, right? Like in the good place, where there's like, uh, like a soft, like he doesn't, you don't annihilate, but there's like a soft reset, you reboot, at least that. But he partners with Adam and Eve. He kicks them out of the garden. And now the mission of God, where, where it was to create a place where he can dwell with his people, where he can rule through his people, now becomes more of a rescue mission. Now he has to rescue his people. It goes from uh, creation and cultivation and delegation to rescue. And what we see that kick off in Genesis 12, where God calls out this, this pagan called Abram. He calls him out and he gives him a mission. He says, leave your town, leave your people, leave your place. I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna make you into a nation so that, this is really important, that he becomes a blessing to be a blessing. That's so important to understand that Abraham and the people that will come from him, the nation of Israel, was to be blessed by God in order to bless. That blessing came to Abraham on the way to the nations. That is so incredibly important to understand because Israel was supposed to serve as a light to the nations, the scripture says. 
And we see again and again and again, they fail to live up to that. They fail over and over and over again. God gives them a tabernacle, a mobile temple as it were, to meet with them and they fail. God gives them, when they get into the land, God gives them a secure temple, a, a structure, a place. It's, it's like when we go from here to like buying a place, that kind of stability, right? That, that, that's what happens. He, he gives them this space and they, yet they fail again and again and again. And then at the apex, what, what, what Paul calls the fullness of time in Galatians 4.4, at the apex of history, he sends another temple, but it's not stone or wood or curtains, but it's wrapped in flesh. And God sends his own son to be the place, to be the tabernacle, to be the temple whereby now humanity meets with God. And that happens through a brutal death, a brutal massacre, as it were, uh, a, a, in a kangaroo court where, where Jesus, the holy and sinless one, is called the blasphemer and is hung on a cross with two common criminals. All this, listen, all this so that God can create a space where he will, what? Dwell with and rule through his people. When Israel failed in the wilderness, Jesus would prevail. When Israel failed to follow the one true God and follow idols, Jesus prevails when he is tempted. When humanity as a whole failed to extend the presence of God to their neighbors, Jesus doesn't fail. Jesus is victorious and he's victoriously raised in the middle of history to win a people for himself so that we can once again join in the mission of God to partner with him to bring the wayward home so that we can create and cultivate a space where God can dwell with his people. That's your call. If you are a follower of Jesus here today, your call is to partner with God to bring the wayward home. Your life is no longer your own. The stories that we receive from our culture saying that, that it's about you. you. You need to see them for what they are, a farce and a lie. And in fact, they rob you from the truest and deepest joy. And so we're called now, we're called to partner with God in his mission to participate in that. And one day, listen, one day, a physical day, this is not just gonna happen in our hearts, this is not uh, something that's gonna happen in our imagination. In history, Jesus will come back physically. You need to get that, physically. Like this is actually going to happen. And he will wrap up history. And at that point, maybe what we think is that then we will eject out of earth, go into heaven, and then who knows what's going to happen to the earth. But the story of the scriptures tell a different tale. They sing a different tune. Not so much that we will eject out of earth and go to this sort of ethereal realm, but that the new heavens and the new earth will happen here, that heaven will come down to earth. And so what we see, where Adam and Eve failed to cultivate the garden, Jesus brings the city. 
And this is so important for us to understand that wherever, whatever it's gonna look like, wherever we're gonna go, whether we're gonna live in Marrickville in the new heavens and the new earth or in South America, I don't know where you're gonna be. I'm gonna be back in Brooklyn, probably, on Jamaica Avenue, that's where I grew up. And it's gonna be renewed. Maybe I can teleport, to, I don't know. I don't know how it's gonna work. Jesus can walk through walls, I don't know what's gonna happen. But we need to see that we won't end up in a garden, we're gonna end up in a city. And I wanna show you that from the book of Revelation. So turn with me now again to Revelation 22. And we're gonna practice what I call holy noticing. So I'm not gonna go through everything in the text. I wish that we had the time, but I just wanna notice a few things. Let me read to you from verse one, 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now through the middle of the street of the city also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree, listen, were for the healing of the nations. Imagine, imagine that. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face. Ah, oh, the day that we will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Now, when I read this, I mean, I've, I, I, you know, we've probably all read this text so, so many times and, and there are some things that we've missed. And I realized when I was, when I was uh, preparing for this, something just continually just came out and it's this, the tree of life that there's this river, right? Just picture this, there's gonna be a city where there's, there's gonna be this river and there's gonna be this tree of life on either side. Now the last time that we heard about a tree of life, where was it? The garden. The garden. Now this blew me, away. let me tell you why. Because maybe it's not landing for you. But the fact is this, that God put Adam and Eve in a garden to make it into a city. And what Adam and Eve failed to do through their disobedience, through their idolatry, through their sin, Jesus now accomplishes on the cross so that as a gracious gift, God can give us this beautiful new city. Many of us, many of us, I, I would imagine, would think that some, somehow heaven will maybe just be a park, the, the new earth and new heavens. I don't know what, what you think it is, maybe a lake there with some, with some ducks, I, I don't know. Maybe they can have bread, I'm not sure. But I would venture to say this, that you, particularly those who, who we work in urban centers, that's what heaven is gonna look like. With skyscrapers, maybe Uber drivers, I don't know, why not? with fair prices and, and, and you know, they get treated fairly, but just imagine what that will look like. That as, as you walk down, you see businesses and good governments and grocery stores and parks and playgrounds and schools, why not? Just imagine what that would look like. 
So often we have this really anemic view of what is to come. And I want to say that the scriptures tell us this, that as physical as the garden is, as physical as Adam and Eve put there, is as physical, although otherworldly, will be the new heavens and the new earth. And many of the things that we do, many of the things that you are engaged in now will be brought into the new heavens and the new earth. But I want to point this fact out, that God is so good. The fact that he doesn't give up, the fact that there is still that tree that Adam and Eve were cut off from, the fact that he doesn't go to plan B, The fact that from the very beginning, as God opens up his mouth and said, let there be light, in his heart were a people dwelling in a city. And he put them in a garden to cultivate it, to build it. They failed, and he gives it now to us because of the cross of Jesus. And we get to participate in that, y'all. And we worry so much about smaller things, about lesser things about what we look like or, or how we're dressed or what this person thinks of me and I need to take this shift because my, then my boss will look down on me. We, we have such small visions for our life and God is calling you to an adventure that you could never imagine. That's the mission of God. He calls us to work towards that and he's good. He is faithful. Even when we are faithless, he is faithful. Just just read the scriptures. We somehow think that the scriptures are this sort of anthology of, of, of heroes. Like that's crazy. I've heard it said from a preacher before that if the scriptures were a Western, everyone would be wearing black hats. Jesus would be the only one with a white hat. He's the only hero. And he calls us to partner with him. And so, now, where will our work feature in all of that? Knowing that heaven will come down to earth, that earth will be cleansed as it were, what does it look like for our 90,000 hours to enter into that? I want to read from Revelation 21, so that's just a chapter before what we read. Revelation 21, verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, <clears throat> for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need, the city, I love that. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. That's the Lamb of God, that's Jesus. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. I want to stop there for a moment. Now, so often what happens with the scriptures is that one, one writer, this is John, by the way. So John uh, was exiled into an island called Patmos. Uh, this is the last book written in the scriptures. So he's exiled and he writes this letter of this vision that he receives, this revelation, this unveiling. So revelation really means an unveiling, right? To reveal something. And what we need to understand is that he is so steeped in the Old Testament. He's so steeped. He's soaked in scripture. And if we know our Old Testament, we, as we read those verses, what comes to mind is Isaiah 60. 
700 years ago, uh, God reveals a vision to a prophet called Isaiah, and he, he writes it in, in his book called The Book of Isaiah. And uh, John is steeped in this. His imagination is shaped by the Old Testament prophets. And so what we need to understand is when, uh, oftentimes when an author drops a line, it's a clue. Much in the same way that when we write a footnote in one of our papers, that's a clue to where we got it from. But unfortunately, Bill Gates wasn't alive back then, and so there was no Microsoft Word. So the only way that he could hearken back saying, hey, listen, I'm gonna write this line, but really what I want you to do is I want you to fill that out, I want you to go back to the source, and I want you to understand what I'm doing here. And so what we're gonna do today, we're gonna understand what he means when he says that the kings of the earth will bring in their glory. I'm not gonna read all of Isaiah 60, but in Isaiah 60, there's this vision that Isaiah has, and he's talking about all of these things that are gonna come in to the new heavens and the new earth. And so you would expect maybe those things to be religious things, sort of religious articles, things maybe from the temple that, that the Israelites uh, would frequent. But, but listen to the list, some of the things that will come in to the new heavens and the new earth. Now this is Isaiah the prophet, he says things like this, that the wealth of the nations will come in. I'm thinking maybe Wall Street. That camels will be there, like the best of the camels. That gold and silver and frankincense. So for everyone who loves those essential oils, you're in. You're in. Flocks of Kedar and rams and ships of Tarshish. Remember Tarshish? Where's Tarshish from? Tarshish is the place that Jonah fled to. So the ships of Tarshish, Cyprus and Pine and all of these, what, what is that? Those are all cultural products made through our 90,000 hours. Work in essence is culture making. As you work, as you build things with your mind, with your heart, with your hands, what you are doing is you are creating culture. And the picture of the scriptures say that these cultures will be cleansed and brought in into the new heavens and the new earth. This is a beautiful picture. This is not the picture of, of Wally where our, 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 our work is, is scraps at the end, but it will be cleansed. Your work will be cleansed and brought in to the new heavens and the new earth. Andy Crouch has this beautiful line. And it says, he says this, he says that culture, listen, culture is the furniture of heaven. I love that. Culture is the furniture of heaven. He says this to challenge us. Will the cultural goods we devote our lives to, the food we cook and consume, the music we purchase and practice, the movies we watch and make, the enterprises we earn our paychecks from and invest our wealth in, right? So that's everything we do. That's our 90,000 hours. He says this about this. Will it be identified as the glory and honor of our cultural tradition? And so this pushes us, this, this beckons us to a beautiful vision of our work that we should be engaged in good work. Not only do good work, but engaged in good work. And this is a, 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 an exercise in discernment for us. M maybe it is that you feel you need a career change. Maybe you feel that the things that you do, that you're called to do at your particular job don't honor Jesus. I'm not sure, I'm not here to, to, to put that on you. I'm here to tell you to sit at the foot of Jesus and ask him to show you because he will. 
He wants to commune with you. He wants to form you into the kind of person that will bring him glory through your 90,000 hours as you submit to King Jesus. I want us to wake up in a sense, to wake up through this series to see a few things. As we wrap this up, I, I, I want to leave with you, if, 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 if this were the only things we said, right? I want to leave you with this. I want you to know that where you spend the bulk of your waking hours, the 54% matters, like really matters for eternity. That the, the cultural products that we produce, the, the work that we engage in should be done well and they will be even, even the best of things, right? Are still tinged with frustration and, and frailty. Those things will be cleansed and brought in to the new heavens and the new earth. Your 90,000 hours matters. We also want you to know that your place of work is one of the primary places where you are formed into the image of Jesus. You will spend maybe three to four hours a week in intentional Christian community. You will spend about 40 to 60 hours at work. That is one of the primary places. You need to see your context, your cubicle, your place of work, your classroom, as your home, as the primary place where Jesus wants to form his character in you. Additionally, we want you to realize that there are real spiritual forces that animate particular sectors. What do I mean? I mean this. I mean that there are powers and principalities that seek to magnify the, uh, 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 the, the individual sin and, and structuralize it. And so there, there are deep structures in all of our sectors that want to form us into a particular kind of person. Discipleship is not an option. You get that, right? You understand, right, that discipleship, being formed into something is not an option. There's no neutrality here. There's nothing, there's no moment of your day where we are not bombarded with ways and a vision of what humanity wants to look like. We are being shaped more than we would ever, could ever realize. Discipleship is not an option. The only option is who are you going to be a disciple of? And we want you to see that your work is forming you into a particular kind of person for good or bad. But realize that. We want you to realize that your work and your work done well will feature as furniture of heaven. I, I love that. That this will be the furniture of heaven that God will cleanse and bring this in. And ultimately, that God wants to use your 90,000 hours to bring glory to his name. When you fill out that job application, when you think about your career choices, when you think about what you're gonna major in, when you think about where you're gonna spend your time in, there needs to be a framework in your mind, this sort of sieve that all of these decisions go through. Say, how am I gonna glorify God through this? How can I bring glory to God as I parent my toddler? Like, pray for us. That's hard. Right? How am I going to glorify God as I represent this person in court? How am I going to glorify God as I sit at my cubicle and, and just pound through these emails? Like, what does it look like for you to glorify God with your 90,000 hours? 
And so some of the things that we've been doing every single week is that we've been commissioning you. So, so often, if you've been around churches at all, uh, a commissioning is a, is a sending out, okay? It's a sending out. And oftentimes, we will commission missionaries, or we'll, like the way we've done for Ruth and Scott, we'll, we'll commission uh, sort of church leaders or gospel communities, things like that. And that's good and right, and we'll never stop doing that. But so often, what can happen is that um, we in essence, by our silence, will say uh, that you are not commissioned if you're not doing those things, that you are not sent out as a missionary. And, and at Anchor, we've, we've, I hope we have never been guilty of that because we always want you to know and feel that you are a, mission, a missionary of God in your place, in your context. But we wanted to, to, to formalize this in a sense and say, we, we're gonna be sending you. So over the past six weeks, this is who we've sent out into their mission fields. We've sent out parents and we've blessed and sent out students and teachers and those working in creative fields, police, men and women, doctors, nurses, uh, mental health professionals. We have commissioned counselors and paramedics and firefighters and those working in the political sector, those who are working in manufacturing and engineering and transport and architects. And somehow this creeped in there, Uber drivers. I've taken a lot of Ubers this week, but we haven't, but we will today. If you're an Uber driver, we wanna commission you. Lawyers, legal aides, those working in retail, those working in the sciences, those working with software or information technology, those in the business world, marketing, managers, those who work in the service industries, in cafes and restaurants and hotels and dock rooms and, and logistics and transport. And so if you haven't been commissioned, we wanna commission you today. If, if, that's, if that's you. But today also we wanna uh, uh, dedicate this time to, to a, few, a few other um, uh, sectors that we haven't commissioned yet. One is tradies. So I'm gonna ask you to stand up. So if you're a tradie, if you're a tradesman or a tradeswoman, I'll ask you to stand. You, you can stand, you, you, you wield a hammer, I know. <laughs> tradies, if you work in the financial sector, if you are in trade or if you work with investments, things like that, we'd love for you to stand up and we'd love to pray and send you out. Real estate agents, if there are any in the room, we'd love to bless you and send you and commission you. Any city planners or analysts in the room, we'd love you to stand, we'd love to pray for you. Any one who works for non-for-profit organizations, we'd love to pray for you as well. Uh, and additionally, those who work in the religious sector, so our pastors and our staff, we'd love for you to stand uh, because we would love to send you out again uh, in the power uh, of and grace of the Holy Spirit. And so if there's anything else in there that I mentioned from the first lot that we've commissioned in the past several weeks, please stand. We'd love to pray for you and commission you. And we do this because we love you. We do this because we love Jesus. We do this because the most important thing in the world is that we would partner with God to bring the wayward home. That through our 90,000 hours, through our waking, through our sleeping, through our commute, through our getting up, through our rising, through our being stuck in a cubicle, our Excel spreadsheets, wielding a hammer, teaching young kids, changing a diaper, whatever it is that we do, we do for the glory of Jesus. And so let me pray for you. If you know these people around you, uh, you feel comfortable, you can put your hand on them, or if not, you can just, everyone else can just uh, uh, spread your hand out to them in a posture of solidarity and prayer. I'm gonna pray for them. And then we're gonna stand up and we're gonna sing and we're gonna celebrate uh, through communion as we share in the body and the blood of Jesus at our station. So let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. You are so, so good. 
we put our hands over our mouth, like Job. We have almost no words. You are beautiful, Jesus. And I ask you now, Lord, that you would infuse these men and women standing and, and, and those who maybe were uh, 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 maybe a bit too shy to stand, Lord, that you would infuse them with your power and your grace and your mercy and your vision. Would every single person here just understand and see what you are up to, God? Because you're up to a lot. You're up to a lot when we go to work. You're up to a lot in our 90,000 hours. You want us to use that time to partner with you to bring the wayward home. We have a deep desire to see those who are far come near. And part of that means that, Lord, we will go out and do good work. So I pray for everyone here, Lord, that you would send them out with your grace. Cover them, Lord, we pray. Put a hedge around them. Protect them, we ask you, Lord, that you would protect them from the enemy. There is a real enemy. And your word says he is prowling around like a lion, even now, seeking those whom he can devour. And we pray against Satan, his works, his effects, his schemes, his strategies. Your word tells us to be mindful of the schemes of the enemy. And so I pray a protection over these folks now that you would send them out now in the power of your spirit. And so I thank you for them. I thank you for the way that they have uh, and are continuing to transform this city and affect this city for good. We, we, we want to be those uh, who bless the city. That blessing has come to us on the way to the outcasts, to the wayward. And so we thank you for all these things. May they go out knowing that they are sent by you, Jesus. And we pray in your name, amen and amen. Again, so we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper now as we sing. And this is a time of rejoicing. Listen, let me, like, I know I have to go, right? Like, but I just want to say, Jesus is on the throne. Jesus is on the throne. What people think about you is not on the throne. What you make is not on the throne. What you own is not on the throne. What kind of purse you carry or car you drive, like, that's not on the throne. Jesus is. That's good news. That is the gospel, that Jesus has conquered Satan, sin, and death. And he is sitting, ruling, and reigning, and beautiful, and one day he's going to come back. And so we celebrate that. We celebrate that because for that to happen, Jesus came in the form of a man. And maybe this is the first time you've heard this news, that God himself, the one that the scriptures say he opens up his mouth and stars come out, the one that holds the span of the universe, uh, in the, like in the, this, this is what he does to the universe right here, holds the whole universe like this. And yet he's come down to us in the form of weakness and flesh to live the perfect life that we could never live, to die the death that you and I deserve to die for our rebellion against the king, the rightful king. And yet he, he will not leave us or forsake us. 
He comes after us. He loves you. He looks at you with tenderness now. And that's the story I'm inviting you into. The story of a God who's come for us. That's what we celebrate when we take the bread and we dip it in the, the juice and, and eat of it. That It's Jesus' broken body. It's Jesus' blood that was spilt so that we can join in on the mission of God. And so I invite you to that. I invite you to sing and kneel and ask for prayer and pray for one another and have this beautiful vision of what God is up to in the world. Bless you guys.